0: Our reading this morning is going to be coming from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 25. Romans fifteen, fourteen through 25. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. For on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, but I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I have no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints.
1: Jesus' as apostle Paul had wanted to come to the city of Rome for a long time. In the late 8050s, that was finally going to happen. Paul had had a long-term project going on of raising relief money among the Christians there in the regions of Achaia and Macedonia, to ultimately go to disciples in the region of Judea. And that project was finally complete. It was ready now to be delivered. So as soon as he got that done, as soon as he took that money to Jerusalem, it was Paul's desire to come to Rome. And he was really eager to be able to preach the gospel there. Not because they weren't already good people, who were already pretty knowledgeable about the way of Jesus, who were even able to teach each other, but because Paul personally wanted to serve the cause of Christ there in Rome, he personally wanted to build up their faith to advance Jesus' kingdom there. In fact, the only reason that he hadn't already gone to Rome to do that is because he'd been doing it everywhere else from Jerusalem in the east to Illyricum in the west, about as far west as he could go, short of actually going over into Italy itself. So now, Paul was longing to finally come to Rome, no longer having any room for work in these regions. Because that region that he'd been working in, especially the ancient Asian city of Ephesus, had been going on for years at that point. And over the course of those years, Paul had formed some important partnerships. he made some life-changing relationships. he got to see firsthand how God's word could increase and prevail mightily. He had lived through the experience of some burdens that were beyond his strength to handle. But burdens that ultimately taught him to rely not on himself but on God. That's how Paul could say in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. He saw what Christ has accomplished through me he said by word and deed but even knowing that, even being focused on Jesus that way being so eager for what was going to come next when you form those kinds of relationships when you've shared in those kinds of experiences it's hard to say goodbye do you know what that's like how exciting is graduation Whether it's your high school graduation, and you're finally done. Whether it's your college graduation, you're about to get the degree in the field to go get the job that you've been training for. You look forward to that moment of graduation so much, but it's still hard to say goodbye. Because even with that excitement, you know your life is going to change. You're not going to see the same teachers every day. You're not going to be around the same friends that you were. Your daily routine after graduation is about to be completely different. So you're eager for it. You're counting down to it. It undeniably marks a major accomplishment in your life, but it's still hard. Or anyone who's ever moved, even if you were just moving between houses locally, you know how it is where even if the house you're getting is nicer, it's a little bit bigger, it's a more desirable location. You're still sad to leave the old one because it wasn't just a house. It was a home. Or if you've ever changed jobs, you know what it's like to be excited about the new opportunity. But you're still going to miss your coworkers, at least some of them. There's always a person or two that you're like, whoa! But by and large, it's difficult to say goodbye. So how about we learn from how Paul did? Because shortly after he wrote this in Romans chapter 15, we read what happened in Acts, just a few pages over in your Bible, chapter 20. Beginning with verse 17, now, as Paul is now making this trip to Jerusalem. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know of repentance towards God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pause there for a moment. Paul had spent the better part of three years in the Asian city of Ephesus. That was his longest stay anywhere. In fact, he had actually been there until just a little bit before this. So it's understandable why he felt like he needed to keep moving. He wanted to say goodbye. He had some important things to say to the Ephesians, but he was eager to get into what came next with both its good as well as the challenges he knew he'd face. So he asked the Ephesian elders if they'd please come to him. And these were men that he had worked alongside and discipled, men who would be responsible, For keeping God's kingdom advancing long after Paul had moved on to Jerusalem or Rome or anywhere else God might take him. So how did the apostle Paul say goodbye? Well, first of all, he encouraged those brothers to remember. To remember all that they'd experienced together. The good times and the hard ones the big public gatherings, and the time in each other's homes, living for Jesus together. Paul didn't know exactly what the future held for himself or for them, but he knew that there would be hard days. He knew that they'd miss each other, but more than anything, he knew that King Jesus had things that he wanted done. He knew that King Jesus had provided and would provide exactly what they needed to do those things, and he knew that's what he had declared. Through his words and his actions, what he preached and taught, how he had lived and discipled them to live, he knew they'd received the whole counsel of God, everything that those folks needed to be profitable to God, to continue to be fruitful in God's kingdom even after he was gone, but to do that, they needed to remember. You see, sometimes we get in such a rush to move on to the next thing that we don't take the time to stop and take stock of where we are of how we got here. But that's a critical step for us to take. How we learn from the past, including the painful parts of it, maybe even the mistakes that we made. How we avoid making those same mistakes again is to stop and remember. Because those good study habits that you had in high school, They're going to serve you well when you get into college. But the bad ones that you leave unaddressed? Just switching schools isn't going to suddenly make them better. If anything, they're only going to be worse when you don't have a parent there questioning you every day if you've done your homework. Maybe you get a new job and the title's better, the environment is more supportive. But realize that as exciting as all that is, it's still the same you going to work there every day. So even with the things that change, there are going to be some things that you bring with you into that workplace. So it's important that we identify what are those things God's given us that we should carry forward. And what are those things that we need to change within ourselves? Because we do things the way that we do them for a reason. It might be that we don't know another way. Or it might be that we even realize the way we do things isn't the best. But we just have this natural tendency to drift towards the path of least resistance, whatever's easiest. That's why we as people need grounded, godly mentors like Paul had been and continued to be for the church there in Ephesus. Because mentors like that, they look at things with fresh eyes. They speak hard truths to us, but they do it with grace and genuine love. They give us sound guidance for our relationships, for our careers, for our personal growth, and maybe even for our preacher searches. Because look, losing, And finding a preacher is tough. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to take a breath, to ask some questions about ourselves, to reset as a congregation we are entering one of the most important periods in our history. Do we realize that? In the days and weeks and months ahead, we will be making some of the most significant, some of the most consequential decisions that this church family has ever had to make. You see, this season is not just about scheduling speakers and advertising for candidates. It's not even just about whoever is chosen to be the next person to wear the title of minister. The conversations that will be had, the priorities that will be set or not, The work that will be done, or not, long between now and whenever the next candidate appears, that day-to-day stuff is going to be critically important. Look at Paul's example. He didn't tell Ephesus, so hey you guys, find you another apostle as quick as possible. Maybe James the Less is free. We don't hear much from him. Maybe he's got some downtime. Let's ask him if he can come over to Ephesus. Maybe he can fill my place. No, first he said, you guys need to remember what you've learned. You need to take stock and think about what God has taught you through this season. The good stuff and the really difficult stuff. And we need that. We need to see where God has brought us. We also need to be honest about the obstacles we face regardless of who the next minister is. Because the reality is some of the greatest threats that we face individually as followers of Jesus, collectively as the church of Christ, some of those greatest threats They start with us. Because listen to what Paul says next in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Speaking to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders. Incidentally, the only speech in the book of Acts that's recorded that's given to a group of Christians. And how does he see those men? Were these just the guys who handle complaints? and set budgets, and fix leaky toilets, and keep everybody happy. Nope. And not just because they didn't have toilets. He sees them as men that God's Holy Spirit set apart to care for God's church. Now some of that stuff might be part of caring But it's not the most important part. God supplied those men to make sure that the flock, the men and women that Jesus shed his blood for, are nourished, growing, protected, especially protected because fierce wolves were coming, including among themselves. Did you catch that? See, sometimes we take this old school view of the elders' oversight, where that group of men must approve every activity. They deem it. Right, Larry? We take this view where they have to review every lesson that's taught because it's their job to protect the flock from wolves. Well, don't get me wrong. There are dangers out there. There are people who profess to be Christian leaders, who deny Jesus. They deny Jesus by the words that they preach and teach, or they deny Jesus by the predatory actions that they take. The way that really what they're pursuing is not Christ, but they're chasing after money. Or maybe even they're sexual predators. Or maybe they're spiritually abusive. People who misuse their authority and standing as a way to try to elevate themselves to get what they want. So while Paul's warning includes keeping watch that no one comes from outside to exert unChrist-like influence, they weren't just to look out. They also had to pay careful attention to themselves. Because among the church in Ephesus, among the Ephesian elders, there'd be some that would get a little too focused on getting things their own way. And when that happens, that's how we get led astray. That's been true ever since Eve in the garden. When we start to focus on what we want, what seems good to us, instead of trusting and following Jesus, we always make a mess. It brings ruin, That's what really makes us dissatisfied in the workplace. That's what makes us resentful in our personal relationships. And when in church we're focused on getting what we want from a service or a program or a minister, instead of genuinely seeking what Jesus wants, it leads to disaster. That was the risk that Paul saw them facing in Ephesus and we are all capable of that. None of us are beyond the temptation to be so focused on ourselves that we actually hurt what King Jesus wants done. Even elders. Because uncertainty of transition tempts us to retreat to circle up the wagons and to cling to what we want or to dig in our heels or demand to have our say, to refuse to listen. So what do we do? How could they make sure that didn't happen in Ephesus? How can we make sure that that doesn't happen here? Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, says, we watch and we work First, we watch ourselves. We each need to really take stock. Where has God brought me? What can I positively contribute to Jesus' kingdom for such a time as this? What are my personal weaknesses? What are my blind spots? That I need his help with. Because we all have it. And once we start there, once we put down the facade and actually get real about where we are, then and only then are we actually able to watch out for others. But it's not in a policing, condescending, parent sort of way where we've thought about it more than you have, we've prayed about it more than you have, and if you would just listen to what we say, you would be good to go. No, it's in that way where we recognize the struggle. We see how somebody's hurting because we know the things that we've got stuck on. We know the things we've got tangled up in, so we're able to graciously say, hey, brother, maybe cool it a little. Maybe take it a little bit easy. You might not want to... About that that way. We can reframe. We can refocus on Jesus. We can help each other think about well, how do you think Jesus sees it? What do you think Jesus wants for us from this decision, from this situation? We also keep watch on our good examples. Because the Ephesians hadn't just heard Paul preach, they had lived life with. they saw up close how this apostle of Jesus Christ operated, how he spoke to people, how he felt about things. So they could imitate him as he imitated Christ. So we need to think about who can we watch for? Who are the good examples that God has given us in our lives of being a good Christian spouse or a Christian parent or a Christian worker in the marketplace or, or a church member? And let them be who we set our pace off of. Let them be who we try to keep up with as we walk through change and challenge together. Who do we know that's been there that we can call on for advice? Who do we see among us that's really handling things pretty well? So let's try to be like them. Let's try to emulate their attitude and their demeanor and their outlook. Because that's part of it too. We watch and we work. Because anybody ever watching Paul knew that man worked. Night and day, he cared about Christ's church. He shed tears over them, over what Jesus wanted. He wasn't after money or fame. He was truly looking out for the good of others. But all along, it was never just so we'd be like, gee, that Paul sure is swell. He said, I've shown you That by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. We must remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I've got to tell you, over my years as a Christian, in multiple congregations, in several different states and different parts of the country i've noticed something the people whether we're talking about people in terms of a whole congregation whether we're talking about people in terms of individual christians the people who do the least complain the most and that's the truth The people who do the least for God's kingdom tend to be the ones that complain the most about what's going on. But Paul, everything he did came from his focus on Jesus. And if Jesus got up and washed feet then is there really any doubt about what we need to do? About what we should be doing? About what we will be blessed if we do? So when we find ourselves facing change, when we're looking at uncertain, likely difficult days ahead, if we want to make sure that we handle uncertain times well, that we actually come through even the painful ones better. We watch and we work. And not to be a broken record, but prayer helps a lot too. Because listen to where this concludes in Acts chapter 20 and verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. But they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. What a way to say goodbye, huh? Pretty powerful stuff here in Acts chapter 20. So as we face change with its uncertainty and challenge, as we say our own difficult goodbyes, let's watch examples like Paul or the other apostles, like Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament, but most of all like Jesus. Let's make Jesus our focus. Let's look for what he's done. Let's. Think about what he wants for us next. The good that has taken place that he wants to build on and expand. The stumbling blocks our blind spots that we've been content to live with. That we need to get his help to remove. To be able to keep moving forward and keep growing. Let's welcome strong voices like Paul's that encourage us and challenge us, that remind us and focus us, then let's get to work. Because transition isn't a time to retreat, it's a time to reload. It's a time to take aim. We'll be blessed if through seasons like this, instead of allowing ourselves to be drawn away to being self-centered or complacent, we actually become more generous. We actually become more active. And I just want to make sure that it is clear for everybody that I know, as I preach these last sermons, I haven't have not been an example like Jesus or Paul during my five years here. But I also know Christ has accomplished some things to his glory. There is no denying we have been blessed just by trying to follow his example. So as we begin this last week that my family and I have among you, let's say goodbye, right? Come pray with us on the beach on Saturday morning. Come worship and fellowship with us next Sunday. There's going to be some weeping. There's going to be some embracing. At least for some of us. I'm self-aware enough to know there's a few folks who are like, "Woo!" And that's okay. If we all just focus on Jesus, it'll be okay. And we'll be blessed. So let's do like Paul. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you for your word for breathing it out through people like us so that we can hear from you, so that 2,000 years later, situations that our brothers and sisters faced could be so relevant to situations we face and just speak life and give light. Help us, Father, to imitate them as they imitate your son. Help us to have life and have it abundantly as we navigate change, as we navigate difficulty, as we navigate uncertainty, as we say goodbye. Help us to learn from people like us that you raised up. But most of all, help us to learn from your son as the perfect example of what it means to be a human being, so that we can come through this in such a way that we experience your presence, so that we're full of your joy, so that the good that you've done expands, so that the ways that we struggle continue to just be brought to you humbly for your healing and your help so that we can have more and more of your joy be made full in us. As we say goodbye, as we have moments of praying and singing, of weeping and embracing in the days ahead, make those holy moments by being present with us in them. Help us to be bonded together between my family and this congregation, between one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, in this local congregation and as part of your eternal kingdom. Help us to be bonded together in peace and love by your Holy Spirit. That even when we have different views of things, even when we have different wants or different priorities, we can all fix our eyes on your son. We can watch for what he wants done. We can watch our own attitudes. We can watch out for each other. And we can work together in such a way that you receive the glory. And we see that whether or not we get what we want, when you get what you want, it's best for all of us. We just thank you for being so good. We thank you for your word in this and every opportunity you've given us to explore
0: it together. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.